paths are never a straight line, but if you embrace the windy road, you'll eventually find your way. Join us. Another episode of the Get Over It podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Before we begin, just a reminder, uh, the quickest way to get new episodes of the Get Over It podcast is to subscribe to your favorite pod player, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, That way, the new episodes will push automatically to your phone. You won't have to go out looking for them. Uh, We also do video recordings of this show, so you can find that on YouTube. Give a subscribe if you prefer to watch in video format. But again, please leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe. And thank you for joining us. So today's guest on the Get Over podcast is Dan O'Leary. Dan O'Leary is a senior SEO specialist here at Over It. And these shows, uh, for me, when I get to talk to uh, people that I work with at Over It are really fun because I don't really know a lot of my colleagues very on a personal level, right? You, you know, you work with them together, you know things about them, um, but it's good to find out about their journey, where they came from. So we're going to do that today with Dan O'Leary. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having us, Chris. So, all right, this is fun, like I just said, because, you know, I know you now mm-hmm. for like two to three years, yep. but I only know you to what I know you of. Professionally. And so, uh, right, yeah. and I know some things, I know you have kids, I know you're married, I know these things, but this is a good opportunity to get to not just know you more personally, but you have a journey and your journey is very similar to mine in that um, where we both started, like in terms of professional career journey, yep. um, possibly in life, but in, in professional journey, your where you started wasn't where you are now. And it's fairly different. I mean, you can there's common threads we'll find, mm-hmm. but I think it speaks to this general concept in life is that there are no straight line paths hardly ever to where you're going and um so you have that sort of circuitous path so yeah we're going to talk about that today on the show so first off man like you're from up in this area your whole life no so okay like no. this is one thing i think we definitely have in common i am not a capital region native so for those who are listening we're based out of albany new york capital region is like albany schenectady troy the, the kind of three cities um i'm originally i was born in the bronx and that's new york right city. you're a downstate guy so i'm a downstate guy my family is all from both on my mother and father's side they're bronx natives um like i'm a second generation irish american like my parents were like the first kids born in america their oh, families okay. from Ireland. Ireland. So, um, yeah. So I'm from the Bronx originally. When I so was, you you before we go any further, yep. you agree that the bagels downstate are better than the ones Abs- absolutely. Okay. All right. Just yeah. just for, for, yeah. the, for the record. Just putting it on the record. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm definitely a bagel snob. Pizza too. Same. Like, like okay. a, lot, a lot of the New York City classic food staples. Yeah. They're okay. I, I'm saying that because um, someone that we work with, another colleague here, I won't say her name, Lisa Barone, <laughs> said that um, there is no difference between bagels downstate and upstate and that's just something it's like a nostalgic thing in our minds but i i i firmly disagree and would put that to the test any day i had a decent bagel two weeks ago like it's not (laughs) it's not nostalgia it's empirically better yeah that's all right good all right now we got that established. so when did you cut when did you leave the city uh 1990 so like i was 10 years old basically okay so like right before middle school i was you know in elementary school my parents moved to orange county new york which is like still south of here but Coming from New York City, that's that, considered that upstate. was upstate. That's considered Anything upstate. north of like the Tappan Zee, yeah, Cuomo Bridge is yeah, is like upstate. it's considered upstate, right? 
But now I'm up did here. Did they go for work or they were just trying to get out of the city or? Both. Okay. But actually, no, not for work at all. My father actually continued to work in downtown Manhattan for like the next 20 years. He really? took a bus down there every day. Wow. Took public transportation. Yeah, my father never had a driver's license because he was a city guy. Yeah. So many and, people and, in New York City don't he, even own a yeah, vehicle. Never they don't mind. Want to. It's like very proud. Exactly. So he would take um, a bus in from into town. My mother would drive him um, to, to the bus stop. He'd go in the morning. He'd just reverse the route and get back every night. And he did that for 20 years. But Where in Orange County, by the way? What was the town? Uh, it's a little t- – I was lived in a town outside of uh, Montgomery. Okay. Um, so right. Montgomery is between Newburgh and Middletown. Okay. You know, if you're going up the, the thruway, like it's exit 17. But uh, you did some New York – did you did pub- New York City public oh, school, elementary yeah. school then? Yeah, yeah. I went to PS95 in and the And then Bronx. you went to – you did middle school – in Orange County okay. and high school. All right. All right. So I live there. And, you know, my family is still down there. My sister li- still lives in Orange County. My father still lives in Orange County. Okay. Um, but I came up here because of college. So I went to SUNY Albany my freshman year. Okay. And then I transferred to Union College, which is where uh, yep. I met my wife, where I graduated from. And you graduated when? Uh, ni- uh, 2002 was my bachelor's Same. and then I stayed for my master's and I got that in 2003. Uh, okay. All right. So you So and I've been here ever since. Like Where so you went to SUNY and then you transferred to Union mm-hmm. and why that? You just thought I had a better opportunity? It was you thought- So I was applying I applied to both Union and SUNY Albany coming out of high school and I was accepted. Um, I was given um, scholarships kind of financially to like both, but um, with SUNY Albany uh, my tuition would have been entirely paid for and the only thing I would have had to mm-hmm. cover was like room and board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my parents at the time, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. I won't right. say like we were poor. Like right. obviously we're able to like move out right, of New York City. Right, but getting that kind of help helps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for if for like a year, it was like, well, you know, maybe you go to SUNY, you know, and also like Union's like a very small college. Like SUNY's like a university. Right, it's, like, it's, right. it's more of that liberal arts college feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I kind of, I went to SUNY Albany for a year and I liked it, but um, one, the architecture of the campus. Like, I don't know if the audience yeah. have ever seen it. It's a campus that was like, I, as I understand it, originally designed the architect for like the the Arizona desert, like where there is no wind, right? But we're up here in Northeast New York, uh, Northeast, like upstate where New York. Wind. And like, yeah, and the uh, the winters on that campus Oof, were brutal. Like I, I did one of them. Yeah, very windy to get from like where you Oof. were and just didn't really like it. And meanwhile, if you've ever seen like Union College, while it's in the middle of Schenectady, which is like a very urban city, like the, the, the campus itself, it's like, it's one of the most well manicured. Yeah, it's very nice. Like, it has like nice. a horticultural garden. Yeah, it's a very good school. Awesome sports too. Yeah. They have like hockey. The, the hockey program yeah. is very, very yeah. well known there. Yeah, yeah. It's, our, it's only D1 program. Yeah. All the it's other great. athletics are D3, but um, they've uh, won the, um, you know, basically the National oh, yeah. Hockey what's, Championship. Yeah, what's that called? The, the, Frozen, the Frozen Four. Frozen Four. Yeah, That's so right. they've yeah, won yeah. the Frozen Four in years past. So, um, so that was similar to actually my the similar experience. So I went, I started at Siena College and I went to Siena and I turned down a lot of other schools um, because of the money. Because, mm-hmm. because of my thought, I wanted to go to medical school. Yeah. And my thought was like, that's going to cost me a whole bunch of money and most likely I'm not getting a scholarship to medical yeah. school. So let, let me save on the upfront because to me, I was like, college doesn't really matter. I viewed it as like just a checkbox, which was actually very uh, mature of me back as an 18-year-old. But um, now that I think about it. But um, 
that turned out to be not true because I hated it so much. I went to Miami for the fun. So yeah. I thought I wanted as a checkbox. Turns out I really wanted a real, like a bigger school. But yeah. I went for initially for the scholarship. My, luckily, a lot of them transferred to Miami. But um, so what did you go into college for thinking like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I like. <laughs> so in high school, I was thinking like science or engineering. Like um, I, I really enjoyed physics. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed as a, as a teenager, even as a child, really like astronomy and things like that. So I didn't really kind of know, but I thought it may be like physics, astronomy, so you were astrophysics. like a STEM guy. You- yeah, exactly. I was president of the Science Honor Society okay. in high school. But then like my junior year of high school, I had a really fantastic English teacher. Like she was amazing. Um, and uh, I took the SATs and I ended up getting like, you know, a fairly high score on the SATs, including on like the verbal section. And she kind of was like, you know, you're as equally talented as a reader and a writer, frankly, as you are. Like, I know you like the math and science, but like you could, you could do that right. if you, you wanted. That too, right. So like I kind of really fell into this like very like I, I want to say like romanticized notion of like college and it, it became all of a sudden like dead poet society right. for like, me. Like I want to study be, literature and like write. Yeah, and like write poems and, and you know, and uh, so I, w- I eventually became an English and philosophy double major. By the time I was a senior, the double major was just a little too hard. I didn't enjoy this one philosophy seminar. So like literally like five or 10 credits short of the actual true double degree, I dropped philosophy entirely. It was a minor. I had enough credits by that point for right. it to be like my minor. Was the major, uh, double major a requirement or you just No, no, it? I just was really sometimes, interested. Sometimes it, schools with philosophy and or certain majors require a double major. Yeah, no, yeah. it really was kind of like, again, I couldn't really like pick which I liked either or. Like when mm-hmm. I was reading English literature, obviously it's like mostly like it's fiction. It's yep. not true, right? Yeah. Um, it's not, uh, it, it obviously explores the world. Correct. Uh, but it doesn't explore it the way that like a philosophy person Correct. would do it. So I kind of liked the straight, hardcore, like philosophy classes, you know, Plato, Socrates, logic, uh, epistemology, metaphysics. But then sometimes in literature, it's just like we're exploring the same topics, but it's like through the lens of like a fictional like character, right? But eventually when you get really into it, like hardcore philosophy gets gets very difficult courses. Yeah. And um, see, philosophy for me, people, when you think about a philosophy major or going to school for philosophy, you know, you get that immediate like knee jerk reaction, like, and I, I, I remember um, taking a lot of philosophy. I remember trying to talk to my parents about philosophy, and their knee jerk reaction from working people is, "What are you going to do with do philosophy?" With that. Yeah. What I've learned about that, getting a doctor doctorate in philosophy, because PhDs are are that. I don't know if people, you're in a subject area, but mm-hmm. the the degree, a PhD, is really a degree in thought, mm-hmm. and it's a philo- it's it's learning how to philosophize yeah. about a, about a subject that could be anything. Yeah. Mine just happens to be in a neuroscience or biomedical science. But what I learn and appreciate about philosophy is that it really teaches you how to think. Absolutely. And like that, so when I, out of the PhD now, people are like, oh, so you're not doing neuroscience now, so what'd you go to school for? And I say to them, I'm like, those years of, of, of in that taught me how to think about things in a way that I would have never been able to, maybe I, I should strong, but I think about things in a much different way being trained in that regard. Because when you get into philosophy, you can't take it for face value. Mm-hmm. You really have to think about it. You have to reread it, possibly multiple times. You're thinking it through. You're referencing old stuff. You got to go into other people's stuff and see how they drew their lines of logic. So it's research, 
right? Mm-hmm. And it's more than just philosophy now that I think back on it. So I could see how someone in that though could use that later in life. Like even in the situation where you are now in numbers, every day you have a thought process yes. that's different than a lot of other people here. And I'm wondering if you think you got that from that experience. Yeah, no. And even when I took philosophy, again, because I, I was like, I really liked math and science. Like there are philosophy classes where it's like very analytical, like not just like you know, pie in the sky, like what's the meaning of life? Right, you know, right. Like, uh, this is a chair. Is it really a chair? Yeah, is it yeah. really a chair? And, and you know, um, but like when you take like logic, like you learn like, you know, Boolean logic, and then eventually it becomes like basically like first order logic as like Kurt Girdle, the mathematician, right. kind of like laid it out, right. you know, and you can kind of understand like how syllogisms work, how mm-hmm. philosophical proofs, like, you know, right. premise yeah. to conclusion, yeah. airtight. Yeah. To, we were talking about like, what are you going to do with philosophy degree? Like most people who, if you don't teach philosophy, the number one profession philosophers go into is like law school. They, they right. become lawyers. Correct. They become politicians. Because they become legislators. Very logical because, thought. Exactly. Yep. And it's really the ability to like um, really dive deep into like nuance, right? Yep. To really delineate like the shade of gray and to find out well, like, well, gray is made up of black and whites though. So like, where are those like Correct. kind of things, right? The, and being tolerant with that kind of like- Being tolerant with it is the most important thing. Yeah, and I think that like- ambiguity. A, the, a, bigger, a bigger problem in our world today is that the, the, the thought process, the ability to philosophize and think about things, there's a lot of people that don't really want to engage in that. You know, I find like I'm sitting, I'm the one that would sit with anyone for hours and just go deep into something and talk about its nuance and where, you know, like, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't want to do that nowadays. They like to take things for face value. And I feel like, I don't know. I know you have kids. Um, I watch how my kid is like, has to navigate this world today. And there is just not a lot of opportunity for kids to be pensive no. and to think and to question and I, I, I concerns me as a human, as a father, just yeah. as somebody who appreciates and understands what you can get out of something if you really think through it rather than superficial glance. And I feel like our brains are being told, I feel like don't go too deep anymore. We similar age, like we just had more downtime as children. Mm-hmm. Like I, I grew up with a computer. Like my father was a computer programmer. I, I was one of, you know, the first kid in my class that I knew that even had like a PC at home, but like connecting to the internet in like 1986, 88, yeah. 1990. Kicked off when somebody called. Yeah, or if you're even allowed <laughs> on because the cost to dial yeah, in from, dial, a, yeah. you know, from a modem, yeah. you know, it was like a modem back then, right? Um, was just prohibitive. So, yeah, like you we weren't j- void of technology. It was just that we didn't have the ability to reach into our pocket and be and be and no, be completely it, occupied. You know, yeah. like I remember my mom being like, I remember now, like, go do something constructive, go figure something out. Yeah. I remember her saying that to me all the time, and I we remember hated hear- outside. I remember they hated would lock hearing the doors. that, and, she, and she'd be like, "Yeah, Stay get outside. out of the house, come <laughs> back for dinner," and I would yeah. go, and we didn't know we didn't have anything on us, but we knew what time. And we we're like cats. We rolled in. We always showed up, right? Like, yeah. and that's just, but it was a different lifestyle. And I, I hope that uh, philosophy maintains and persists these subject areas. And I, I'm going to try to push my kid to get into that a little bit because I feel like it does have benefit down the line. So I just want to make sure we, we, we go through all the way through yeah, yeah, um, yeah. with the time. Limit so that's my academic background. So that, so now yeah. you're, you're, you're done with college. Yeah. You go to grad school for? I went to grad school for teaching. 
Okay, so education. Education, yeah. Okay. Because again, it's and like, what are you going to do with, which what, area with an English that? degree? English. So, and was it like secondary ed or? Secondary education, okay. yeah. So Union has a master's program um, that uh, offers like a, actually one of the few like full year internships at a local high school. So even to this day, like most people who do like student teaching, they're studying to be teachers. They may go for um, six, 12, maybe even up to 18 weeks as their traditional like actual like in school teaching experience before they send them out to the wild which I find to be like crazy because I spent a full year doing it and I wasn't prepared to like to, re- be to, to really it. do it. Yeah. And in fact, like after I finished up my master's program, um, even though I had the full year internship, I was having difficulty like actually finding like a teaching job. So I needed to pay the bills. So like I quickly just like got a job and then, you know, eventually I was kind of like, you know, I, I don't, and that job was what? I worked in retail. So okay. I, I eventually went into retail. Coming right out of college, I went into retail. Um, out of your master's? Yeah, with a okay. master. So, like, um, I'm, I'm working at the mall in, like, a store. I eventually got promoted to, like, management, you know, a key holder. Mm-hmm. You're kind of managing some people. And I did that for a few years because um, I knew that, like, fundamentally, the, the year that I spent teaching at a school kind of – I won't say it, like, left a bad taste in my mouth, but it's very eye-opening. Again, I mentioned, like, oh, yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. going to be, like, dead poet society. Yeah, it wasn't right? No, it's not. And the, the turnover rate in teaching is very, very high. Yeah. Other than like police officer or like maybe uh, air traffic controller, like some really like high stress jobs, very few ca- careers have like, it's like well over 50% will drop out and not do it anymore within their first five yep. years. Well, I made that decision within like year one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still love English and I still love teaching. I like, I love to teach and train and coach people. But what I found was like 30 you know, 14 year olds no, in man. an urban environment nah, is like not necessarily mm-hmm. like my cup of tea. That um, it's certainly me. a lot of more administrative and bureaucratic right. and kind of right. paperwork right. oriented. It's not being able to just free will teach in there. It's not. And, uh, it's not and n- that. nor do you want that. No, I mean, again, no. it's a very romanticized notion of at what teaching level. is. At yeah. That level, right? um, and those who can really do it, I have the utmost respect for them, those who like put in the years, because I find, again, it takes like five to 10 years to even really get good at like mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm. So the realities are like, you know, if you have kids in schools, like some of their teachers are like going to be fundamentally better at Correct. their craft than others. Correct. Some of them, I think, have native born talent to teach. But I don't think like, you, you know, you have to acquire it on the job and experience and really be dedicated right. to your craft. Because right. there's a lot of pitfalls in that profession. And that was one of the first eye opening things for me is like, I'm as I'm, you know, no longer a child, I'm becoming like a man, an adult. And it's right, realizing like, you can like the subject matter of a job, but if you don't like the actual day-to-day realities of the job, right. you're going to right. be disappointed right. and you're it's, not – It's all-encompassing. It, and it'll, it'll, it'll affect you. And your, they don't really tell you that when no, you're studying that in and college. It, and it gets <laughs> in your head. It affects your mind, and then you know what happens then. Everything else suffers from that. Yeah. I think I'm married to a, an elementary school teacher. God so bless I, I, I hear I hear all about it. And I taught for the first almost – you know, in my career, like for five, six years, uh, as but, like a TA. But I, no, I was I was an assistant professor, and okay. I was teaching. Co- I was teaching graduate students yep. in college. Some college, I picked up some college classes just to teach because yeah. I found it to be a more more fun uh, crowd. That's college where I picked than, teaching back up. So right, later right. on, like I, I taught start, it. To, yeah. I, and I had an adjunct at, at Siena. I was teaching there for a little bit, but I just didn't have the time anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found was like I don't have patience for kids. Like young kids, yeah, I don't have that. Thing. That's not my game. Um, my my, what where I really excel is I know like grad students, I know that they want to be here. They're here because they've chosen. They could have been done, but 
but they've decided to continue their education. They're adults. They're in a different place in their life, and I can teach how I want, and you're either going to pay attention or you're not, but I don't have to care because my job is less to get you through requirements and standardizations at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get a degree. It's on you to put the effort in, and like I am going to be a little more. T- I could be tough. I can speak to them like adults. I do much better in that regard. Teaching, co- I taught college labs, which was really fun because that Stand gave on. me, yeah, and it gave me the opportunity to make science fun because science is fun. And like in college, you can get real bitter mm-hmm. with science because a lot of kids and people go in, they think it's like I'm going to work at body and it's going to be human, but a lot of it's like that hardcore biological stuff. Why are we learning about this? But like, it's very fun. Organic and chemistry. Correct. Or like, <laughs> but like the labs can be really fun. So mm-hmm. I love to get kids excited about it. Like that was really fun for me. So I, I'm, I, I do love teaching, but there's a type of kid yeah. or person that I, I do better at. So then you're in retail, and then where do you go from there? Retail, I get back into education, right? But now I'm teaching adult learners for the most part. So then I started, I got an opportunity to teach at a local college, and it was like a two-year to four-year degree program. It was a technical school. Um, ITT Tech, they no mm-hmm. longer exist. Mm-hmm. They, were kind of caught, Tech, yeah. they, they were caught up in um, a lot of the um, for-profit kind of um, mm-hmm. predatory uh, loan things. But the uh, the programs themselves were, you know, depending on which location, you were fundamentally sound. So I started teaching teaching um, writing, reading, right, and general education classes at that. And that's what I found. Some of the students were like, you know, they were traditional college age, but maybe like a traditional college was not for them, right, Mm -hmm. for either academics or personality reasons. So I did teach them 18 to 20-year-olds, but I taught just as many people who are like, well, I'm 40 to 50. Um, My old job was like a truck driver, but now I want to be, I want to learn like information technology. I want to work with network systems or or what have you, right? So um, I got, I've kind of renewed my passion again it's like well it was the realities of like teaching in like public schools at a certain age group but really again your passion and enthusiasm for a subject um shines through so i started teaching again and um I learned just as much from that job as I did the first time that I kind of went through it because working with adult learners, yeah, they're far more self-motivated in my experience because they're not just going because they're being told like, oh, it's something to check off a checkbox. When you make a decision fundamentally like, oh, I'm I'm a a grown, I'm I'm adult, I have my own bills and responsibilities. And in many cases, they had their own kids. Some of their kids were college age and they're going back. And I'm like, again, like hat tip to you because like that's a decision like if I were in your scenario – I don't know if I could do that, Same. you know, like how many like rolls of the dice do you get right. like, in life? I feel like I've already right. made quite a few of those, right. you know. Um, so I got back into teaching and then weirdly enough, one of my students was working for a digital marketing company based out of like Clifton Park, New York. Um, and I was teaching him writing skills. And he was like, you know, the company that I work for, they're always in need of copywriters. Since, you know, you, ah. you're teaching me to write, so you know the, how to that write. That was the bridge. So that was the bridge. So, yeah. So um, the thing with ITT and really um, a lot of colleges these days, for profit, private, public, they're all driven by adjuncts. Right. Yes. So adjunct scheduling. Another, it's another like subject the, for another. Yeah. Day, I feel like the, the, the pay is lower. It's like indentured servitude. It's it's often yeah. It feels like you're indentured servitude. And fundamentally for me, it's like I was kind of used to like the lower base of pay, which it like made sense to me. Um, but like the unreliability of like term to term, what your course load was going to be right. like, what classes you were going to be teaching, and even fundamentally like what days of the week, how many classes. I wanted to, like I didn't have at that time. I didn't have like a family yet, but I had a wife. Right. So. It's 
it's like we want to start a family. Well, it's no way to like have a family right. if like I'll, every like, wait, literally yeah. every twelve to fifteen yeah. weeks I have to like upend my life or schedule and get my wife to like you know adjust to it. So it's like I was looking for something like a little bit more like stable right. um, in terms of that. So I was like, well, let me try. Right, it. like the the like the 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 adjunct the adjunct faculty is sort of like um, they're dating you. And they don't want to commit to you. They don't. But like, <laughs> they really like you a lot, like because you're good for them and you're good for their. Particularly s- the lower level courses. Correct. It's very like cost it's great, effective. Very cost effective. Yeah. So there's a good. They really like you, but they're not willing to commit to you. And you know that they're not really willing. That's the basis of it. Yeah. And so you're sort of stuck because you like it, or you might think it'll turn into something that then they will commit to you. Like if I get in here, maybe I can get a position because academic positions. Or fit, tenure, you have to remember, whatever yeah, it might in, be. in academics, yeah. there are tenured faculty that never leave. Yeah. So like the openings there, unless they're adding new salary lines, is Which very they competitive. They very rarely, rarely do. Yeah. So then that's your bridge. So do you jump full time or do you start doing some work there? I So I jumped full time to doing the copywriting. So now I'm working at this internet marketing company. It's 40 hours. It's got Benefits pay is actually pretty decent to start. I was very happy um, moving to there. But I kept actually teaching classes for at least like another year okay. or two. All right. But I cut down on the number of classes. Okay. I said like I'll do one one a week or something okay. like that because I still really enjoy teaching. But then eventually, um, then um, not long after I, I, I got into internet marketing, um, by now I'm like over 30. So I'm on my third career now by like 30 years old, right? But my wife and I are purchasing a house. We have, um, we're ha- we have our first child. Right. So um, I, wa- I just was like, I, it's too much. So I'm not even – even though the, the little bit of extra money is nice, the amount of like time and commitment it right. took it's, fundamentally it's wasn't worth it. Worth it. Right. So I at that point was like, all right, well, I guess now I'm all in You're on, all in on, on digital marketing. Um, and that actually ended up – you know, and I'm still doing it to this day. So then you – we were in copy and writing. When did you start to transition to what you do now, which is, you know, SEO optimization, which – for we we had we had um, Joe on the show. We were talking about it. A lot of SEO is writing, or it's you know at its fundamental core with it is content, yeah. right? And and getting that. So yeah. th- it's not it's not so far disproportionate, like like you know separate. No. So what, being a copywriter is a very natural jump to what, being an SEO. Did they specialist. enlist? Did they ask you? Did they say, hey, we need you to write this with SEO in mind? Yes. Is that how it started? Yes. Okay. So the, right. the company I worked for, they offered some other services, but their fundamental um, business model was offering search engine optimization services. So SEO, for those in the audience who don't know, it stands for search engine optimization. And basically, if you are a business or an organization, you want to show up on Google, ideally like page one of right. Google, right? So Google search results are very competitive. And SEO is basically just kind of like the art and the science, I think is how Joe Hall described it, right. Of, right. of like, how do you get on like page one, yeah. right? So yeah, um, I was first hired to write copy for an SEO company. But then um, through a variety of things, like departments and roles and responsibilities kind of like changed there. And they had an opening to a new department that was like growing and they they called it like reporting and analytics. So basically it was like, we need you to like look at co- client websites, kind of like audit them. I learned how to like audit websites and business models and find opportunities to like improve their rankings and like search engine. So that probably happened within my first year. I think I was, you know, I probably spent nine to 12 months as just like a copywriter or in that department, but then they moved me over to this other one and they're like, you're going to learn and train kind of in this other department. Um, I rapidly progressed 
very, you know, very quickly in terms of like um, uh, understanding the thing. I eventually grew to basically start mentoring kind of people in my own department underneath me, right? So as the department is growing, they're kind of like, well, Dan, you're a little bit older than like your colleagues. Right. Like, you're over 30. Some of these people are still just coming out of college. You're in their 20s. So you're not like kind of like a natural mentor and you do have like this teaching right. background. So we want you to kind of bring that to the table. So I kind of even developed not like real curriculum per se, but like natural um, paths of development where we could like um, one, scale mm-hmm. training new hires mm-hmm. or, or new people in the department, right? But also kind of like standardize it. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the nuts and bolts of like getting a degree in education because they teach you fundamentally how to lesson plan. They're like what you know, your love of the subject matter is kind of like even mm-hmm. the secondary most important thing to becoming a teacher, which is actually like one working with your students, right. but, but kind of like also like fundamentally unit and like lesson planning, which is like, again, it's like, it's not a thrill for most teachers no. to have to do that, no, it's but not. it's like an utmost necessity. And those who like put like their passion of the subject before the lesson planning, I feel are like the ones who may like, m- like myself, like you're, you're in for a rude awakening or you're only going to get so far in your enjoyment of that career. Right. If you can't, can't, if you can't really again, tolerate or accept that the realities of the job require planning, planning, you know, more than like doing. (laughs) What I found really interesting is that, um, digital marketing is very scientific. Um, and that's one of the reasons why like, I really love it so much. And it was a natural progression for me. And, And it's, I mean, the, the basis of digital marketing is you putting you're doing things and you're getting a return of data and then you're, you're you're looking at that data you're analyzing it then you're making drawing conclusion from it and those conclusions drive hypotheses yes you make a hypothesis you design an experiment you test it you test the hypothesis it works or it doesn't and you have to continue to iterate it's the same thing and science is never static just because your hypothesis is correct or you improve your null hypothesis not correct doesn't mean that you're now done it just means you're one step closer in a puzzle of infinite pieces yeah and you have to keep designing experiments digital marketing is just like that and yeah. i think so people would and say like science i feel like you know the you know when you watch movies of science it's always like the positive discovery the positive breakthrough most of actual science is like the negative, the negative. discoveries the like this right. is this isn't the case Correct. right because you can and never like, prove something true but you can prove it wasn't true falsifiable right, right? which is something we kind of learned in like philosophy Correct. Karl popper the, the falsification yeah. principle yeah. right yeah so it's kind of like yeah and digital marketing i feel is kind of like like that it's 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 a laboratory we get like literally millions of data points like so every much single week data month. is not our problem yeah no data there's no is, generating data is not the problem here, but yeah. analyzing it and making sense of it is where the money is made yeah. and like that's really really important and that's why it takes a certain thought process yeah and in, in that so like you all the pieces come together right it's the writing it's the it's the thought of the philosophy the english mm-hmm. it's the love of science yeah and when you look at your when you look at like for example bring a full circle your journey and you say well it wasn't straight line it wasn't but you, I can draw a straight line through those. Yeah, curves. it's a circuitous it, it's path. Weird, but yeah, there is yeah. a, there is a common thread always. And in I that. think when I finally kind of realized that, like I'm probably now like three to five years into my digital marketing career, like so I'm I'm in year 11, 12 now. But I think like kind of you know I got a few years into it, and I was like I think this is really going to stick. And it was because of that, where it's like nowadays, you know, we interview even kids coming out of college, where it's like they offer digital marketing tracks. Yeah, it's not just marketing; it's yep. like digital mm-hmm. and maybe even um, students 
students come out and they kind of even have an understanding of like SEO. But even when I started, it's like there was no degree. Like maybe you could get a certificate from it, but it would be from like a third party private company. Like it would be basically like their kind of like certification, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people get Google AdWords or they might get Google Analytics certifications, but there was no fundamental like one standardized curriculum for it. So it's like, well, but there's no shortage of demand for needs no. of good advice and SEO, regardless of what your budget is. Like if, again, if you're a right. business organization right. that has a website, you need it to appear in Google results. So I'm finding that like there's no shortage of positions that now have like SEO like in the right. title, but it's like, where are you finding these people? And in my experience, it's like, find them from the, wherever you can find yeah, them. You wherever know? they are. Wherever they are. And you have to kind of meet them that way because I think, again, it requires a kind of like hybrid skill set. So it's like, you kind of need someone who's like, uh, again, maybe these days there are those who are like, I just learned that. Mm. But I find it's like, no, you kind of need to find people who maybe did different things. Mm. Like your previous guest, Joe Hall, like I, he went for school for political science. Yeah, he did. Right? I know. Every, almost every SEO that I know professionally, like has a story like that, that they're like, I did this. Many of them ran their own businesses, had websites, had to teach themselves SEO, and then started offering that service. They stopped doing what they were even doing and went into like SEO and started selling that services to their own colleagues or former competitors because they were like, I struggled with it so much. I knew that there was going to be a market opportunity for it. Right. But again, it's kind of like there is no one, um, Career, career path, yeah. I would say these days for no. really anything in digital marketing, but particularly for like something like search engine optimization. Because yeah, it's like you need to definitely be able to read, write, report, make a presentation, right? I joke that like, what do you do? And it's like I spend most of my time in like a document, a spreadsheet, or a slide deck, PowerPoint, right? I learned Microsoft Office, right? <laughs> but, right. But, but right, but, but like to really right. use all three of those things particularly well and equally well is you know it, it's kind of like part and parcel of like the job description. And to wear those different hats and be able to jump from that, you know, got to talk to a client today, right. so I got to brush my teeth and comb my hair. Yeah, yeah. But other days, I spend eight hours on my couch just diving into spreadsheets, yeah. and it's like really wonky analytical work. But again, it's a, it's a, it's that. Bro- I think it's uh, that broader skill set has then helped with that in that regard. Uh, we're, we have limited time, and I want to get to the subject because we talked we talked about it um, mm-hmm. before. Um, you're a guy that's in your head a lot, like me. Maybe I'm, too, I'm, I'm in my much. head, yeah. and I think it's just. You know, some people are, are their brains are wired that way. I'm wired. I'm wired to think. I'm in my head, and being in your head and in my being in my head can lead to overthought and ang- ang- being ang- anxious, which yeah. I am, and I know you and you suffer from it too. Yep. Um, you know, I, I I have another show, a mental health show that I do this because I just first of all it helps me. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like my to therapy, yeah. and um, I'm concerned for kids nowadays in this world, so. Um, you know, I talk about it there, but I'm curious to know when did that? Did you always have that bit of anxiety? Was, so it, was I, it a social anxiety? Tell me a little bit about what it is um, for I, you. For me, like, uh, so I was not diagnosed with anxiety, and I also have depression. It's more seasonal depression in nature, yeah, but it's well, kind of happens here. Yeah, <laughs> in the Northeast, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, um, but I wasn't diagnosed till I was over forty. So again, I'm like well into my career. I'm actually working it over it, and um, I'm starting to like. You know, it wasn't any one thing, but um, I really started to uh, just kind of like be down. 
yeah, I felt like a road was the mm-hmm. word I, uh, I used with my therapist when I talked to her. Like, I, I like the ocean is like beating mm-hmm. at a cliff, and yeah. like you look at like a cliff, and it's like it's a rock, yeah. it's yeah. a rock, right? right? And it's like, but even like even cliffs they, are road, but like would... which one wave like did it? Anyway, it's just like I got to a point where it's like I need to talk to someone and I need to take a step back from work. So I actually went part time here at mm-hmm. Over It for like a little bit. Over It's been very. It's fantastic. actually when I when I when I yeah just came when we on, first met yeah, you had right. just joined yep, and I was kind of like stepping back a little bit. Um, so I ended up talking to a therapist and she was like, you know, you, uh, you basically have generalized anxiety, classic anxiety disorder. Um, and you also have depression to a slight degree, mostly exacerbated by like seasonal depression. Mm. So when I went, it was like fall, winter, right? Mm -hmm. Miserable, right? right? Now it's spring and I'm like, you're like, there's some, there's some pep in my step these days. Right. Um, but the anxiety and it's kind of like, I got to a point where like, um, you know, like you're at work, but you can't think about work. It's like so stressful. And you're thinking about, I was at, when I was at work, I was actually thinking about my personal life and home mm-hmm. life and how I was like basically failing there. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at home, instead of like connecting with my family, you were, you were, I was thinking, yeah. my head was at like, yeah. was at work. And it's just like, why aren't you working when you're at work and being a father and a husband right. when you're at home? And I got myself in a place where I got all twisted and combobulated and I could not get out of it. Like yeah. I was not sleeping well. I wasn't eating well. Um, you know, my wife basically is like, you're not, you're not present. Like you're here, but you're right. not present. And that yeah. really like, you know, it hurt to hear that, but it was like fundamentally like true. So it's like, you need to go talk to someone. You need to get like help. And then you start talking to people and she, like for me my anxiety is like it's very physical and like when we kind of like um, realize the signs and symptoms of like when in a like an anxiety attack is like creeping up on me it's like largely tied mm-hmm. to like a tightness in my chest yep, I uh, get that a, too. a pit in my stomach like a nausea and like you know kind of through talking about it I realized like oh that nausea feeling pit in my stomach it goes back to like when I was a child like yep. I, there were certain, you can like you can think back and be like I remember that yeah that you know and these are types of things if you if you are a parent and your kids ever like I got a tummy ache sometimes you're just like you know, you just shake it off. Like, yeah, kids get stomach aches. But if they kind of keep saying, like, it, it, I think it's important to kind of, like, put, like, kind of, like, the patterns to it. Yep. Like, what, what, what else, like a trigger what else or a was going thing. on? Right. With, you know, now right. my son, again, because he demonstrates, like, a little bit of these, now that I'm a little bit more familiar with, like, mental health, um, just at a high level and the, the vocabulary and, like, um, ability to kind of, like, uh, verbalize it, give it names, identify specific behaviors for what they are rather than just, like, fundamentally, Correct. like, feeling. Right. But um, yeah, I probably since I was an adolescent have suffered a little bit from like some right. signs of anxiety, but it, it was, gets worse as you get older yeah. because you become more afraid in my in my my experience. Like as you get older, you you're not as like headstrong and like willing to risk. And yeah. as you get older and you have more responsibility, there's more chips to lose. On yeah, the there's table. more chips to lose. So yeah. you're more you're more risk averse. And if you're if, if you're in your head a lot. And I'm thinking, should I bet 10? Should I bet 20? That's the worst time to be in your head. It's a feel. It's a thing. And like, so I get in my head and I, it, it really, one of, one of the things that I have learned to do that has really helped me, I've worked with a therapist on this and I, and I teach my kid this too, is to externalize anxiety. Meaning what I do is I put a name to it or I put an image to it. And I did this a lot during the pandemic, which got to me, you know, mm-hmm. like a really Very healthy, a really thing. healthy yes. person. But like, I was oh, like with my kid and my family and the structure and how everything worked. Um, I worked on external, like I would give it a name, like a, like a really bizarre name or an image. And whenever I felt it coming on, I would talk to it. I'd be like, I'm making this up now, but here's Bob. Bob's here. 
and Bob's trying to get me, but like, screw Bob. Like, mm-hmm. And what that does is, which is really, really smart, is it separate, a lot of times people that are anxious will say, I'm anxious and I hope that it doesn't like limit me. And you make it, Chris is an anxious person, not Chris is somebody who experiences anxiety. Those yeah. are two different things. Yeah. And if you make it, that's who you are, it consumes you. So Bob externalized it from me. And now I can say like, sorry, Bob, like I can't deal with you today. And I can, my brain can actually, that's processing that better because I'm like, oh, and for kids, it's great because kids can, their imagery is better. They want to be more creative. If you're feeling like you're feeling afraid, I tell my kid, just, you know, tell Bob to go away. It's not, it's fine. And like, it sounds crazy, but it's a very good behavioral tactic that I learned and it has helped me get through some really tough times because you can't be defined by that. Yeah. Otherwise you'll go deeper and deeper and deeper. So I found, yeah, like talking about what was causing me stress was helpful. But what I found, like you said, like you said, like give it a name that that's what I found to be the most like breakthrough moment for me in terms of like my mental health journey, right. That, um, and like my therapist, when she's talking to me, sometimes she would kind of go into the more like scientific, like, again, you come from like a neuroscience background, so you know all about it. It's like the way anxiety works. It's like, you know, you have like the flight or fight mm-hmm. response, your amygdala, mm-hmm. all this kind of like uh, emotional response. They're parts of your nervous system that aren't necessarily like the actually like most logical or it's um, just reaction conscious part. And then, you know, uh, hearing about how like serotonin works, like sometimes she'd be like, I'm sorry if I'm boring you. And I'm like, no, like it helps. Like, because I'm such an impaired, like, again, I I have a science background. It's like, I did go to school for English, but I'm very scientific and data driven. So it's kind of like now when I'm having an attack, like I can like, I don't give it a name like Bob, but what I say is just like, your blood pressure is raising now. You know, your pulse is quickening. Like I I start to recognize the Mm. symptoms and just physically label them for what they Mm. are, right? And then I'm now separating, like there's a physical manifestation of it, right? Right. Um, But like, you don't need to be terrified by it. You don't need to be confused or worried about like, is it natural? It's like, now I so fundamentally understand what's happening. Like if you like, if, you know, it's a different disease entirely, but like if you have diabetes, like you know what you're like, when your blood sugar gets low, what it starts to feel like, right? right? So it's now, it becomes a little bit like that. It becomes much easier to manage for me because now with like when I have anxiety, I just look at it as like, you know, like it's the same way someone who's like blood sugar is falling. It's like you need to just take specific mm-hmm. actions to kind of self-correct. And, you know, um, I no longer go to therapy. Um, I don't actually take any medication. For a while I was taking some medication, but I kind of um, – there was – for uh, and. It was wonderfully effective, but there was like cons to some of the medications I was taking. It actually made my brain like quite foggy sometimes, I mm-hmm. felt. And w- like with my job, I was like, I need yeah. to be like, I, I don't yeah. like how this that, feels. That is, that is the struggle of many a creative or many, many a smart, a genius is that the smarter you are in your wiring, your brain is like a computer. It's got to be wired to do something really well. And if you're one of these super high functioning, incredibly smart humans, your brain is wired different. But it tends to then not wire very well for other things. So you tend to possibly be less social. You tend to be less interactive, more normal. You're Mm -hmm. in your own world. Um, And that that can break them. And the only way to restabilize them is to take medication. But the stabilization kills the ability of them to create and be who they are. So most geniuses are wacky and don't want the drugs because they can't create. So they live a wacky life and a lot of them to their demise. But like they make that decision. You know, I'm, we, this isn't you. Obviously, we're not yeah, in no, the no, extreme. No, no, but no, yeah. the brains can wire in that in that way. And um, it took me months. You've to, to figure out a good balance. What is the balance? To it. Yeah. So for me, cognitive behavioral 
strategies I found to be the most effective. So that's towards the end of my tenure with the therapist, um, what we were like most working on, just like strategies and tactics where it's like, you need to like, um, it, it's very meta. You need to think about mm-hmm. your thinking. Yeah. And again, and then, like and then, as it's happening then, yeah. in real time, yeah. talk yourself back and understand like, this is perfectly natural. You don't need to feel ashamed or bad or sad about it, but it's just like, it's a reality of my like live life now that it's just like, you know, um, when stress levels rise, like there's very predictable kind of patterns of both the behavior, yep. but also like physiological feelings. So. Well, I think, and we, we have a minute left here. I think you're doing what I think is the best thing to do, and that's your talk about it. Yeah. And talking about anything, in particular this, is is incredibly helpful. It's the first step of it. If you can't talk about it or recognize it, it'll just take you over. I mean, you have to be able to step out. I always say you got to be able to step outside yourself and look at yourself and be like, ooh, you you know, that's that's going to hurt you. You got We got to figure out a, better, a good way to get through it. So I guess that in the last minute, I would say, I would ask you, you know, you are where you are now. It wasn't necessarily where you thought you'd be, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And you're a good example of like, you're good where you are now. Yes, you have your struggles and you whatever, but um, right. Like, w- what would you say to people who were like in this sort of journey and they're up and they're down and they're like winding? What would you say to them in those paths? Um I think what I would tell them is like be open to uh, the younger you are, the the more open you should be to trying different things and have a, t- a tolerance for failure or like taking two steps back for every like one step forward. And then I guess second is just like even failures or setbacks, if you treat them properly, are data points, right? It, you need to be able to learn just as much from like the things that you like right. weren't good at yep. than like the things that you like really are good at. And there is still to this day, like as I do SEO, there are things that I will draw from like many different decades and aspects of my life and like bring to the table. And some of them, you know, looking back on it, it was like, well, where did you acquire that skill or that piece of knowledge? And it was like, well, that was a very difficult or painful chapter of my life. But like, um, like it's like compost. It's like you need to turn garbage into nutrients, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, most of your life will be like the the rubbish, the, the, you know, I think even the happiest people, like what is true happiness? Like the most happy. Right. That's like one, 10% right. of your life tops. Right. Most of it is like boring, mundane stuff. Right. And like 20% of it is like, frankly, it's the like garbage that painful. really makes you. So do you want to just get nothing out right. of that? Or do you want to get something out of it? So I'm a gardener. I know you garden. So the analogy I use, and I try to teach with my kids, like compost everything because you right. know, even the, even the worst painful things can sometimes, it's the know, garbage that really makes you success. like rich in yeah. your life. And in a lot of things like, you know, like despite what everybody sees on social media, life is not that way. There's no. a lot of down, there's a lot of hard and that hard is ultimately what's going to pull you through and get you to be a better person. So, um, you know, I want to thank Dan for this. This is great. I, this is great for me too. Cause again, like I get to talk to someone that I know I work with on a day-to-day basis and we're typically only talk professionally, but I want to thank Dan for telling us his story. Um, and I also want to thank you guys for listening. I also want to thank uh, Dave and Adam uh, in the Overt Studios. If you're checking this out and you're watching and there's any way we can help you with your audio or, or video, if you want to do something like that, please reach out reach out to us. You can go to overtstudios.com. Uh, again, please subscribe, your favorite pod player. We'll be back with another episode. Dan, thank you so much, man. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Chris. Yep. Yeah.